0: Joseph and I'm Nick and this is fish jelly. Mm. welcome back thank you uh, yeah <laughs> are you happy to be home
1: i am i'm i'm it's always happy to come back to you
0: Oh yeah, likely story. <laughs> I feel like in the inevitable court battle uh, we'll have years from now, you'll bring up these recordings about how <laughs> sweet and kind you were. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I am. I... Or, like, in my murder trial, they'll have a. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, no,
1: that's not, not. I mean, I don't know what you're doing out there to somebody else, but
0: it's not going to be me. I'm not uh-huh. about to get hemmed up. So, uh, today, it's going to be All Things Can, but I feel like we need to continue with the Drag Race All Star Six saga. Mm. So, episode six. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I had to catch I'm up. I'm still having I... a difficult time talking, so, excuse me. You uh, um, eloquent as ever. But episode six, the challenge was like a play on American Horror Story.
1: Oh yeah, that was that. Okay.
0: Where the remaining queens took characters and made them their own. All right. So what did you think? Uh, uh, it was kind of a that was a little crunchy. It was a little
1: crunchy. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, I'm curious as to why some of their more polished performers, like like Pandora, I thought did really well, but gets actually like absolutely
0: no screen time uh yeah i feel like i mean i am very pleased with pandora's performance thus far but so i had commented that i like how she seems to just be focusing on the job at hand which is to be the best drag queen she can be and she's doing that but then because she's not being ridiculous she gets no screen time yeah they're not they're not cutting to her
1: uh Which is unfortunate, but uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, the it it was an interesting idea that I thought ended in like a lot of these
0: drag race episodes. It's just kind of being feeling hokey. So Jan uh, played like the Leah (sighs) Michelle character, like this musical theater annoying, you know, sucks all the air out of the room type character. So she did a good job with that. (laughs) Ginger played like the young, like bright eyed. I guess she's like, I don't watch American Horror Story, but I guess she kind of mimicked Emma Roberts' character. I guess. I don't, Which I, was kind of awkward, because, you know. I don't know that she
1: is so distinct that that registered to me.
0: But Ginger uh, did a fine job, uh, but I thought the real star was Kylie. Yeah, she was, uh, she was tr- transfixing. Yeah. She was channeling Glenn Close. I thought she... Well, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang, sorry. <laughs> yeah, she was channeling Jessica Lang. She looked great. Oh, yeah, that Southern Belle. Yeah, uh, her yeah. manner of speech is really. Uh, because And then they they even have a
1: cat on a hot tin roof reference, which is kind of, you know, Jessica Lang is also kind of channeling, you know, that Tennessee Williams Liz Taylor uh, of the 50s as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, in the bottom were Akiria and Raja. Unfortunately. Which yeah. I thought was appropriate. Well, I mean... I mean, who did worse than those two? I know, but yeah.
1: Raja's kind of my favorite, so. Raja's my
0: favorite as well, but I think Akiria, this is her third time in the bottom. Sure. It's... She really hasn't been delivering, like... Even in her season, I I think she performed better. Sure. Uh,
1: I, I think it's just unfortunate that there are people there that I don't like at all, like, like Jan. Mm. <laughs> like... We could, you could go home uh, so I, I think it's unfortunate to see somebody that
0: I find more deserving of more screen time but. so Kylie wins she has to lip sync against Manila Luzon as the lip sync assassin which I thought was like I don't consider Manila a lip sync assassin she's won a couple lip syncs but I don't think she's good at it um, Kylie wins mm-hmm. gets her little 10,000 and she sends home Akeria. I thought that was fair. Yeah. All right. Anyway, moving on to the... Oh, unless you have something else. No, uh, no. Okay. So moving on to the Cannes Film Festival. I'm going to do something different this time since I get the sense that you think I'm always trying to pressure you when really I'm just trying to direct. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to let you... You have 55 minutes to talk about Cannes. So I'll let you organize it how you want to. Well, I suspect you'll talk about the experience being there, your favorites, your least favorites, COVID testing, the award ceremony. So,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's a lot. There's a lot. It
0: is a lot, and but Ooh. you're so good at organizing your uh, time. So let's go. <laughs> I am good at organizing my time. Is that a read? No. Let's here. You have 54 minutes to talk about all those things.
1: Well, okay, so let's uh, I I've seen 74 films in the in the program and uh reviewed 30 of them, which is actually, you know, quite a feat. Uh every day I saw between 5 or 6 films. Uh one day I did see 4 cuz I just skipped, was exhausted and had to, you know, eat. Um but yeah, trying to go do all of those things in a normal year Is one thing, but there was kind of an added stress and anxiety as well because any non Europeans, if you're vaccinated, you can't, um, they wouldn't recognize your vaccination card. They wouldn't give you a QR code. So everybody that was non European had to go to this tent, kind of, you know, a a few meters away from the palais and spit in a tube or. you know, have a, something shoved up your nose every day for a COVID test. Uh, it technically have to be every 48 hours, but because it t- would take six out, trying to organize your time, it's just was safest to get t- tested every day. So, but at the same time, you know, you if you were to test positive, you'd have to quarantine for two weeks, so it could have been stuck in France, uh, also Uh, you don't have to you couldn't go keep seeing films but the strange thing is you only you only had to show that to get into the press screenings or in the palais itself so I could literally go to any other theater in France and have COVID (laughs) and you know it doesn't matter And, and that goes for all of the Uh, French people that are vaccinated that could have had breakthrough viruses can spread it willy-nilly because they aren't getting tested every day. Uh, So There was just kind of that level of frustration. And then on the DL, uh, friends of a friend of a friend said they're giving out these health passes so you can go get that and then sidestep uh, this having to get tested every day. So I got a health pass very early on. Within two days, Variety had published an article about it, and then all of a sudden the festival saying, no, 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 we're not recognizing these health passes. But because they hadn't organized how or who they'd given them out to, some people uh, were told to bring theirs back, and then others, they didn't know that they had it. So I was one of those ones. They didn't know I had it. So I w- I'd still got tested every day, but it was a lot easier to get in and out of the Palais with that health pass. Um, so yeah, 74 films. Um, I don't know. Do uh, you, you just want me to run through my top 10 or start with the negative?
0: Whatever feels
1: right to you. Um, God. There were some terrible films. Uh uh, which we kind of shot a short video about. But Nanny Moretti's three floors in the competition, I absolutely hated. That was a chore to sit through. Uh, really didn't like Jacques Audillard's uh, Paris 13th District, which is also called Les Olympiades. Oh, just these older people talking about youth culture. Maybe you should have somebody young uh, on hand to, to, to you if this makes sense or all because because it was just ridiculous about young people uh fucking each other in this this th- the 13th district uh, at arrondissement uh, uh and with some interesting characters but ultimately because it's a intersection of them all is so superficial that all of them come across as kind of just poor poorly um yeah, and, and there's this lesbian component to it that I, I thought was actually kind of troubling uh, because the lesbian character who is this woman in her 30s who goes back to school played by Nomi Merlon from uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And she she goes back to law school and she wears this shitty blonde wig out with some girls one night in her class and all of them mistake her for some online sex worker that wears the same blonde wig. They barely look the same. But she gets made fun of so uh, (laughs) profusely that she drops out of school, uh, but then ends up uh, courting this sex worker online uh, and develops a relationship with her. Uh, But the message that it sends, and I'm probably not doing the most... If you watch it, the message that it sends is she's really falling in love with her own image, which has this weird Hitchcockian element. And I, I... but is told in a way that like, oh, this is love. Uh, it, it was frustrating to me. But by far the worst film was Sean Penn's Flag Day. Uh, let me ask you, uh, do you know what Flag Day is? You were used to live in Minnesota. Did you ever see a Flag Day celebration?
0: I would say no, I'm not familiar. I, I know that I've heard of Flag Day, but I couldn't tell you what it is. Yeah, because we all had to take civics in high school,
1: but... Uh, <laughs> It's it's about Sean Penn as this loser father who was born on Flag Day and uh, he casts his daughter with Robin Wright uh, as the lead. Ultimately, I don't think it's a really good showcase for her or uh, it it it's a camp it's a camp delight. Let's just say that. But it was fun watching that uh, with uh, a later press screening where people weren't afraid to laugh a lot. Hmm. So, that, and not to focus on the negative, but those were three of the films that I really did not like. Uh, and like I said, having seen 74 films, I saw I saw all of the competition films. Uh, most of the directors' of Fortnite, uh, Un Certain Regard, uh, a couple in the Acid, uh, Critics Week. They had this new section this week uh, called Can Premieres. So, basically, films that they didn't want to put in the comp, but. Uh, were notable enough to be there anyway. Of those, what I did like was, and I read the novel just beforehand, Philip Roth's Deception, uh, which Arnaud uh, Desplechon made into film with Lea Seydoux. Uh, The film has some issues, notably that it's all in French and it's starring two French actors and the characters are supposed to be in London and New York and are very much defined by (laughs) these locations, which makes no sense. I will say I think Lea Seydoux did a really... A great job as that characterization, and I'm not usually a fan of Des per se. I did like Oh Mercy, but it, uh, yeah, it was just fine. Uh, getting out of the negative, uh, I really didn't like, though, um, Ari, Ful- Ari Fulman's Where's Anne Frank, which he's been developing for six years, this animated film about Anne Frank, set in modern times, told from the viewpoint of her imaginary friend Kitty and kind of trying to draw parallels between today's refugee crisis and how uh, refugees are treated with and the Frank family and the the Holocaust. But, which doesn't quite fit. Uh, I see how they tried to get there, but it doesn't quite fit. However, I was closing my eyes on that screening, and there, Karen O and Ben... Uh, God, what's his last name from MGMT, uh, composed uh, original songs for Where's Anne Frank. I cannot wait for those to be released. I love Karen O um, of Ya yeah, Ya yeah, Ya's, of course, and On Her Own. Uh, the soundtrack for that is phenomenal and moody and melancholic and bittersweet. And I, I've been actually searching for it every day to see if there's any news about when that's coming out. But <laughs> as for the film itself, I really didn't like it. Um, Okay, so do you just want me to go through... You want me to go through my top ten? If that's what you like. Well, that's always fun. Um... And then we can do the awards? Whatever you want. Oh, well, you know.
0: So you didn't read anything I wrote? No. Okay. Well, a lot of my time is spent watching other things and editing videos and trying mm-hmm. to have my own interests, so no. <laughs> well, I don't enjoy reading... Reviews of films I don't know or have any interest in, mm-hmm. so I don't generally, I don't know why I would read them, <laughs> but go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, number 10, uh, A Hero, directed by Asghar Farhadi. Farhadi. I just mispronounce everybody's names all the time. Uh, Farhadi. uh, Have you seen Farhadi? No. Uh, Probably best known still for A Separation. His 2011 film, which is excellent. Won the Golden Bear. uh, Won an Oscar. He won a second Oscar for The Salesman in 2016. Um, I haven't... A Hero is definitely his best film since uh, A Separation. Oh, sorry. I thought I had that turned off. Um but it, he's done a lot of films in France, and he did a film in in Spain called everybody knows it's kind of terrible uh so this was is a nice return to form this kind of uh moral uh ethical dilemma that has this uh extreme ripple effect that plays kind of like a thriller uh really great male lead uh, it did tie for the second place Grand Jury Prize. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with people that also really didn't like it, uh, but it is effective and uh, well done for what it is. Uh, at the same time, you know, he's this this director that kind of is good at doing what he does, you know, but that's tour theory. As opposed to, I really also... Uh, didn't like the new Wes Anderson, the French Dispatch, which had some love, but I couldn't have been more uh, bored with that, and I was disappointed with myself, thinking maybe I was just cranky, maybe I was just overly tired, but I really think I've, over, um, I've, I've grown out of Wes Anderson and really am looking for him to change it up a bit. Uh, that said, there are some nice things in French Dispatch. I just, considering it was held for two years just so it could premiere here, I was... Quite bored. Um, that was my number 10 pick. Okay, number 9. Uh, that doesn't sound like a... <laughs> well, I went off on French Dispatch, but A Hero by Farhadi is number 10. Oh, okay. Um, number 9. I'm trying to go through this as quickly as possible so you, you can uh, not look as bored as you do. Uh, number 9, Bergman Islands, directed by Mia Hansen-Love. Uh, her first time in the competition. Uh, you are familiar with Mia Hansen-Love. You've seen Things to Come with Isabelle Hubert. This film... So, I assumed it was kind of uh, based on her own relationship she had with uh, Olivier Asias, who they were together for 15 years, uh, you know, a more notable... She was kind of under his shadow. He's a more notable, uh, celebrated director. I I believe came out as gay, uh, although... Th- that I've just had conversations with people about that and was told that. I haven't read anything about that. Uh, but there was something that just sounded right about that. Uh, so I assumed it was about them, but then uh, I heard from someone else that uh, it starts Vicky Creeps and Tim Roth uh, about this couple, a director and his less notable, but also a uh, w- wife that's a director to Bergman Island, to F- Faroe Island, to write screenplays for their next film. It's really. It was supposed to star Greta Gerwig, and then somebody said, technically Mia Hansen-Love was riffing on Gerwig's own experiences with Noah Baumbach. Uh, anyhow, that is a great Vicky Creep's performance. Uh, it's kind of a film within a film, which is... There was a lot of that, actually, at the film festival. It's filmed within a film. Uh, great Mia Wazakowska performance as well. Uh, I enjoyed it. Went home empty-handed. Uh, number eight... Uh, Memoria, directed by Pitchapong, whereas the Cole, uh, also known as Tai Joe, he previously won the poem for uh, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a Pitchapong with a bu- budget and starring Tilda Swinton, set in Columbia uh, as this woman who can't sleep because she hears these weird vibrations out in the universe, and it uh, turns out that they're kind of. Um, extraterrestrial in nature uh he tied for third place uh jury prize and uh yeah it it I was the, probably the most relaxed after this anxiety-laden film festival coming out of that film because I felt like I had been put in a trance uh, really great uh Tilda Swinton as as usual uh I don't know that you've seen uh in a Pitchapong film um I think as we were dating I had a Film night for tropical malady that you didn't show up to, and everybody that did come was very unhappy with me. Uh, so a uh, pitch pong is uh, diff- definitely uh, th- th- his audience is. It- it's hard to indoctrinate one in him. You either really love uh, his films or you don't. I feel. Uh, number seven is uh, Mr. Sean Baker's Red Rocket, starring Simon Rex. Okay which I've been waiting to talk about that with you because I thought that you were a Simon Rex fan.
0: I mean... No? I just remember he did a solo porn video. Okay, well, that's... He that plays, makes me a fan. He, he,
1: he plays a down-and-out porn star in this that goes home to Texas uh, to with his estranged wife, who used to be a porn star, and his mother-in-law. Uh, very gregarious performance from Simon Rex, who's kind of Dirk Diggler-esque with... Uh, you know, what we eventually see. Uh, and he basically goes there to groom another young woman that, like in Tangerine, works in the donut shop uh, and wants to take her back to Hollywood to, you know, make her a star. Hmm. Uh, it's definitely a film that I think you'd like. I know you're a fan of Sean Baker. Okay. Well, I guess just Tangerine. You haven't seen Starlet. So he's also, he's, it's not his first foray into um sex workers, either. Starlet, I highly recommend, starring Dre Hemingway from 2012. Uh, But this, uh, to me, it's... But I thought this already before, kind of the most, one of the most exciting uh, American indie filmmakers. I was really, if... I was very happy with the award selection, but Red Rocket is one of the films that I feel like was neglected. Uh, I, I I had predicted Simon Rex would have won Best Actor, uh, which he didn't get. But uh, definitely uh, loved it. Uh, number six, Drive My Car by Rasuki Rys- Hamaguchi. I actually saw this film twice uh, in his three hours. I saw it at the festival, a few days past, and I felt like I had to see it again before I reviewed it. So I actually reviewed it two days after I got back. Uh, based on a couple of short stories, actually, by Mirakami, uh, Hamaguchi uh, you know, I already a big fan of because of uh, Happy Hour, which I know I've talked to you about before. It's five hours, but excellent uh, film. Uh, and he had a uh, premiere in Berlin earlier this year in Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, where he won the second place prize. He won Best Screenplay for uh, this film. He had to edit it. So there's a final sequence set in South Korea, which kind of doesn't even make any sense. And come to find, uh, he was told by the Terry Formeau or the can selection jury that to be in competition, he had to be under three hours. So it's two hours and 59 minutes. Uh, and I think they cut out a transitional sequence that really doesn't quite make sense. So it, it's odd, uh, but obviously the, really liked it and kind of does this combination of, like, Lee Li Chang-dong's burning kind of collapsed Faulkner, uh, into Mirakami, and this is very, uh, Anton Chekhov's Uncle Vanya and Mirakami all swirled together in this weird, uh, melange of, uh, subtexts and characterizations, which, you know, if you're into that, you'll love it. Um, number five, Benedetta, uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, starring Virginia Fira and Charlotte Rampling as, uh, uh, no-nonsense uh, abbess, who kind of steals all her scenes, I think. It's lipstick lesbian, non-exploitation, for sure. Didn't win anything, uh, but I also highly enjoyed it. I think that Verhoeven is trying to be in on the joke, so it's more uh, poker-faced than it probably could be, and you almost see it resisting trying to be as trashy as it could be, uh, but it's still it's still gloriously blasphemous, and I loved it. Um, I can't wait for uh, you to see it as well because I think there's a lot you will like about it. But I was glad that I read the 1986 uh, historical book. It's based on uh, just to see the choices that were made about what they left out because there was some shit in about Sister Benedetta Carlini in this um, wedding ceremony she had with Jesus that I was really hoping they'd see, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't uh, have that in there. Uh, number four uh, was a very difficult film to get through um, and unexpected. Uh, Vortex, directed by Gaspar Noé. That's number four? Yeah, did I say... Oh. Yeah, number five was... Okay. Uh, Basically, it's uh, Dario Argento and um, Jean Lebrun, who is in um, The Virgin... The Mother and the Whore, which I was... I need to rewatch. I haven't seen that since college. But anyway, uh, basically this old couple that can't, can no longer take care of themselves and are losing their minds stuck in this apartment. Uh, And there's two different uh, perspectives, like side by side, watching these people just fall apart. Uh, It's really depressing. Uh, I think in the vein of it's an even less uh, sentimental version than... Not that I would call Hanukkah sentimental, but then Namur. But, and I don't know why they decide that Noé has to be programmed at fucking midnight. But this is movie is over two hours. It was, the 11 o'clock screening started an hour late. It was a trial to get through, which is why I didn't review it, because I feel like I need to see it again. Uh, but it's definitely an experience, and definitely unexpected from Gaspar Noé, who... Uh, was last on hand with Climax and his kind of medium-length film, Lux Eterna. Um, Number three, The Souvenir Part Two, directed by Joanna Hogg. Uh, Follow-up to, obviously, The the Souvenir, again, with Tilda Swinton and her daughter, Honor Swinton Byrne. Uh, Again, film within a film. It's kind of semi-autobiographical about Joanna Hogg's own career, Uh, but just really kind of masterfully done she's it starts out basically right where the first one ended where this heroin addicted boyfriend dies and she's in film school trying to make a film about this relationship with this heroin addict uh meta in all kinds of different ways love the finale i did have some interesting conversations with kind of how the film positions um like racial sidekicks like her ad is this black guy who she she
0: th-
1: she, the way she dates and the kind of men she's attracted to, it's just interesting how it avoids talking about certain things. It, are the conversations I had about it? Also starring um, the Welsh director Richard Iode as a director of this like big budget spectacle film in late eighties um, London, which also doesn't really make sense. Also really flamboyant, like all just all kinds of things that seem revisionist in a, a, an interesting maybe strange way uh but also just a, a great film in itself the souvenir part two uh number two Titan, julie Ducorno, uh who won the palm which we're about to get into uh but it's david cronenberg's body horror meets uh john carpenter's christine uh queer uh gender expression film that is uh, it's pretty pretty amazing um the lead star looks like this woman from that stepped out of a peaches music video uh that kills her parents played by bertrand bonello which is a gag in itself and uh then goes off and pretends to be this Boy, that's miss. That's been missing for a decade uh, at the train station because she's fleeing the police after she's gone on a killing spree. Shaves her head in the bathroom, binds her breasts, and says she's this kid. the uh, The fire chief, played by Vincent Lindon, is the dad, and comes and looks at her, this human and is like, "Yep, that's my boy," <laughs> and proceeds to take it back. And then, as you come to find he's got his own issues injecting steroids and is out of his mind, but he basically tells this human, he's like, I don't care who you are. You're mine. Oh, <laughs> oh and, but right before that happened, she has sex with a car. It, 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 it sets up. So it, the first 20 minutes of this movie are so batshit because it, it just kind of sails you through this universe that makes no goddamn sense. And, and then becomes what it is. And, and, but she has sex with this car, and then it's immediately clear based on all everything leaking out of her, that she's also pregnant, uh, and her belly is expanding. So it, it ends with the uh, creation of uh, what transpired between her and that car. Uh, but yeah, just uh, I'm very happy that that one, I think, was very daring, bold film in itself, and that it won. Uh, But my number one film was probably the most uh, divisive film uh, of the competition, at least. Went home empty-handed, had a lot of haters. I loved it. Uh, Bruno Dumont's France, starring Lea Seydoux. I was hoping at least, because Seydoux was in three films in the comp, uh, that they would have honored her with this uh, best actress, at least, because the performance, she has to cry a lot in this film. I love how it's edited. The soundtrack by Christophe, his swan song, gives me Twin Peaks, Battlemente, uh, David Lynch world uh, kind of kind of a, a statement about French news media and fake news ish. Uh, but also this kind of riff on nineteen forties Hollywood women's films, uh, women's pictures as they used to call them. Like this could have been this to me she's Barbara Stanwyck in this and i don't know it i again i can't wait for this to come out and watch this with you because i loved it 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 was the it it was one of the few times at this festival where it's like oh this is the energy of weirdness uh and originality that I, I really want to see. But of course it was met with immediate jeers and booing and uh, as another one of my friends at the fest said, the, the normies hated it. And uh, I, I, it also I had a lot of good conversations about it because people just really like to resist feeling weird or like they can't understand what something's about. It's like they immediately need to get it, which this film is working... Uh, Every single choice in this film in France is uh, deliberate. Uh, it is it is comedic, but there's also very dark undercurrents. And I think people don't like to be unnerved by something that they can't immediately understand, which is, to me, that's what cinema is. It's not just for the moment. It's this, this is this immortal celluloid that, it, uh, I, I just hate the uh, crack shot, immediate reaction, knee-jerk reactions to, uh, th- that are negative. Like, clearly this director uh, is doing something purposeful. This isn't Sean Penn's flag day where it's like, this is a mess. Uh, th- th- There's something going on here. Like, can you take a minute and think about it rather than just say, I don't get it, it's shit. Uh, anyhow, that's my two cents on that. So that's my top ten. All right. Mm-hmm. What's next? Um, The award ceremony. Okay. <laughs> Um, so usually I'm on a flight back by then, but this year I was like, I'm going to get early. I'm going to leave after that. So I got to sit and watch that unfold as it's happening. And, you know, really award ceremonies aren't my thing. I could really care less. So let me first, this is how their organization of this ceremony is supposed to go. There's this lovely host who's... One hour opening night I had to sit through before I watched the two and a half hour in net. Which made me very cranky. Um, So she shows up again and right away I'm like, oh god. Uh, The jury all comes out and they're sitting out in their little uh, places on stage. And she, what's supposed to happen is she asks the jury president, Spike Lee, to tell her what category they're going to introduce first. Then she announces a completely separate guest to come out Uh, give a little speech. That guest turns to the jury. A random jury member stands up to read out who wins whatever award for that category. person comes up, the stranger at the podium gives them the award. There's a speech, they take pictures. Totally unnecessary steps in there, so I get it. Like, why do we need Adele Exarchopolis to come out and give whatever? Uh, So she asked Spike Lee what his first... um, award of the night is and he's got the little car and he stands up and he's like, uh, the first award of the night, the, the Palm d'Or winner is Titane and Tahar Rahim behind him and Melanie Laurent right next to him, are like everybody's just flabbergasted and the camera does, they show pictures of the audience, but they don't show the Titane team to see how they're, so we don't see their, um, immediate reaction to that. Uh, and then Spike is stuck, right? Because he's just... Everybody is clustered around him and, he, and he's stuck. The host is trying to, like, save face and make jokes. Adele Exarchopoulos comes out there. Uh, and he's... Spike is stuck. Tahar Rahim comes by to, like, sit next to him and be in his ear because Spike shouted something like, ENGLISH! Like, you can tell he's just... He's, he's stuck. Anyway, so they, they basically get out that I think the first award was Best Actor... Uh, so yeah, Adele Exarchopolis comes out. They announced best actor goes to, um, Caleb Landry-Jones for, uh, Nitram, Nitram. Caleb has to be hoisted up by the director, Justin Kurzel and I don't know who else, the producers. Looks like he's dying. He looks white as a ghost. He's either, he, he looks mentally ill. He gets up on stage looking like an amphibian and is like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm going to throw up. Like, he's doubled over, taking pictures. He looks insane. So that's the first award that officially goes out. Um, God, then then what happened next? It was further complicated because this very generous jury gave out two ties. They gave out two ties for third place, two ties for second place. The two ties for third place were Pitch Pong and Nadav Lapide for... Um, Ahead's knee. Nadav Lapid is all weird. They're all weird about sharing the award because they don't give them both one thing to hold. They have to share it between them. So then there's weirdness between Nadav Lapid uh, about that. Then Oliver Stone gets out there to give an award because he's on hand for some, a new JFK documentary he had at the festival. Oliver Stone goes off script, just talking. And then he's like, the grand prize has... Oh, it's always been a prestigious award ever since uh, it's been created. Yeah, dude, it's the second place prize, of course. And then he's like, some would say it's an award that lives in the shadow of the palm door. <laughs> yeah, man. So then he goes, okay, I'm going to turn to the jury and ask them what their next category is. And the host is like, in English, she goes, yeah, ask the jury. Just <laughs> so, Okay. Ah. um, and then I think we were also giddy sitting there watching it. By the time Sharon Stone gets out there to be the guest that is there for the Palm Door, Sharon gets out there and maybe can't see the teleprompter correctly. So she's doing this thing where she looks like um, Norma Desmond, ready for her close up uh, <laughs> insanity, reading the teleprompter, and she there was nothing wrong with how she's. <laughs> look, she looked insane. It, just, it was kind of a beautiful train wreck all the way around. So then, of course, they announced. She gets Spike up there, Spike's next to her, and she's like, are you ready? Are you ready to say the palm tour? Um And then, uh, yeah, Julie DeCorna comes out and I thought gave a really lovely speech, and she said, you know, tonight's so perfect because of how imperfect it is and uh, just how surreal this has been. Uh, and she made sure to say that all in English, I think. Uh, then she's like and then reverse to French. But, yeah, I was very happy. One of the most entertaining moments of the festival was that, and I feel like I'm missing some other kind of bits of weirdness that happened, but it was awkward. And I don't know if the festival organizers didn't kind of tell Spike what how this would, was supposed to go down. or Yeah. <clears throat> But I felt bad for him because the, the jury members around him, like Melanie Laurent, she even said she got up to announce something. She's like, what would we have without a little mess? <laughs> you could tell that they were trying to comfort him, but he, he was pretty stuck for a minute. Aww. Um, because the, it's not as bad as like the Moonlight fiasco at the Oscars, uh, but it's still pretty like, oh, you just ruined this, uh, the big surprise.
0: It's hard to coordinate any event, you know, any sort of thing where there's a schedule and time constraints and an order that needs to occur, and then oftentimes these things don't have any rehearsal. Right, yeah. So, you know, it's... And, you know, or organizing all of these people to show up at one place at the same time to... That in itself is a miracle. So the fact that it even runs moderately smoothly is impressive, but... You know, I think to, to have a few missteps doesn't seem oh, it, unreasonable.
1: And the host, I thought, really did a good job of kind of making that work. And he actually messed up again. Spike Lee did at the end. Um, she had to, like, run over there. She had to run across the stage to kind of, like, redirect whatever he was about to say again. Because he, <laughs> oh. I think maybe the, I think the French was just um, throwing him.
0: Well, is that all you have for Cam?
1: I mean, there's more. I felt I, I felt like you were bored, so I was rushing.
0: Well, it's not that I'm bored. It's just, the, you know, I didn't experience it. And so the, it's your experience to share with the people, not me. <laughs> so,
1: oh, well. So
0: you I have think, like 20 minutes. I mean... Uh, well, I mean, is there anything else that sticks out to you? Your hopes for the next film festival you attend, if you do attend one, or... Well, yeah. Oh, so, well... I mean, I'm hoping that next year.
1: Can in July was hot. It was it was too hot. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that going back to <laughs> May, um, uh, and you know, hopefully by then we have all these this QR code business figured out. Uh, you know, something's gonna have to happen about these people that don't want to get vaccinated and think think that they can still go out there and. Uh, i guess walks walk amongst Us vampires cuz uh, it, it just this mixture is not going to work uh because it impinges on everything because shit keeps getting spread um but that said uh for i'm going to be covering Locarno, which uh, remotely um tiff probably remotely venice i do have a uh, hope to go to for the first time maybe for part of it um because Just logistically, I had kind of wanted to be in Serbia around that as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there... There was a surprising amount of... I think there were five lesbian films, technically, in the competition, which I thought was uh, interesting, and... As for, like, gay male content, uh, th- there were a couple things in in certain regard, uh, including The Great Freedom, that I did really like, starring Franz Rogowski, who you just saw in Undina, um, playing this uh, artist, Michael, is it Hoffman, uh, who was uh, in Auschwitz. Uh, he was in some concentration camp because uh, he was gay, but then because of Paragraph 175, when, after liberation, he was just immediately put off in prison. <laughs> Service sentence. Uh, but it's basically about him being released and going back to prison basically throughout his whole life because of paragraph 175 not being lifted. And then he happens he's in prison and reads um, a news article about how that law has been abolished. So he's released and he goes to this gay bar called The Great Freedom where everybody's behaving uh, and treating each other just like they do in prison. which is what kind of like under like he goes to this under in in the bar there's an underground sex area Uh, just basically the same level of kind of impersonal you know sexual gratification Uh, and then immediately leaves that bar and goes and breaks a storefront window so he can go back to prison oh (laughs) because he's been he's been inside so long Uh, I think that won a prize out in certain regard there was also an interesting uh Chinese film Money Boys um about male hookers. Uh, it, it gets a little long in the tooth, but it starts out very interesting. It's about these two sex workers that are hired for this orgy, and they fall in love. Um, but the younger, newer one, something happens where he uh, he's robbed or something, and the man that does him wrong, the lover goes and tries to beat him up and gets his knees pulverized with a sledgehammer. <laughs> and becomes this uh, eventually a married uh, father of children singing on the street. Uh, anyhow, there were, inter- th- there was, it's just interesting that there were so many kind of lesbian films. Oh, and you know what? It's also interesting to see how the Verhoeven film, how the male gaze, I think in direct, uh, comparison to something like Titan, where there are lesbian sex scenes that just how differently those play, uh, from a, a woman versus a, a man, filming these two very sexy, like live young women. But um, yeah,
0: I don't know. Like, I think. Well, like, any other topics you want to bring up while you have a little time? They don't have to be can related. Um.
1: Sorry, I'm just. I feel like I could have gone through every um, every. Competition film, but that's probably not <laughs> probably not uh well it's hard because you can't i can't really engage you because you don't have anything to say
0: well you know
1: um well beyond that, usually we also have time to watch other things, which we really didn't this week uh catching up uh because of the rising delta variant uh, they aren't allowing guests to physical screening, so you didn't get to see old or the g i Joe movie um. But uh, we did watch... Well, you watched part of Night Falls on Manhattan last night, the Sidney Lumet film from 1996. Yeah. Which wasn't very... It had some interesting elements about police brutality and, uh, of course, uh, corruption in the judicial system, uh, but really fizzles out by the end and wastes uh, Lena Olin, uh, which to me is kind of a sacrilege in itself. But we really didn't have time to watch anything else besides, I guess, I had to cram in a bunch of RuPaul's Drag Race when I got back. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and I i don't know, you haven't really told
0: me anything you've watched. I don't think I've watched anything. You haven't watched anything? No. I mean, I watched random things on TV, but... Oh. Like, I haven't sat down to watch a movie and fully pay attention. No, no scripted television? No.
1: I'm just, well, because you didn't follow anything about my coverage, of the Cannes Film Festival, anything. Well, I'm not
0: interested, so no. <laughs> like, so no, I don't I don't ever do that. It's just a lot. I think it's funny that you assume that I would... I already invest so much time into cinema that I'm not particularly interested in, and then I would invest even more time into even more obscure selections <laughs> that I don't know anything about. No, it just... I don't... Yeah, in general I think my interest in film, well, uh, it's very rare that I'm excited to see a movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I watch maybe like 5% of the films I actually watch, 5% of the films I watch, maybe I'm like of all of the films I watch, maybe 5% I had like interest in before. Mhm. Right? So, yeah, it, it's hard for me to get excited about So many, you know, your enthusiasm for cinema far exceeds mine. Sure,
1: but I mean, it's also... And the way
0: you talk about cinema, you know, we all have different learning styles, and my learning style is very different from yours, so the way you explain things to me doesn't connect with my, like, learning style, Mm -hmm. so a lot of what you say to me feels like... You explaining things to me feels like I stood in front of a fire hydrant and someone undid the fire hydrant, and it's just I'm being blasted with so much that Mm -hmm. I don't even know... And then you like to relay about directors and writers and actors who you know I don't know. So it's just like, well, it's hard for me to connect with any of that. Mm -hmm. But I think for the purpose of the podcast, it makes sense because I'm certain anyone who'd want to listen to this is very interested in those details. So in that regard, it's very relevant. But to me, it's like, well, you know, certain things pique my interest. Mm -hmm. So you don't often switch your approach When explaining things to me specifically Mm -hmm. like i under like how you just did it makes sense for this obviously but like trying to get me interested in a film is like well if i don't know the director or their previous movie or the star then how does that bear any weight into what i would so then reading these you know you're a very good writer but it's it's very detailed very specific i don't know almost like i wouldn't know most of the references or so yeah. Mhm. It it's almost like reading something and like it it's like my comprehension of Spanish is, you know, like intermediate and then it's like giving me like a novel to read in Spanish. Like, well, I'm going to get a little bit of it, but it's not going to be very satisfying because I don't understand the nuances and the details. Mm-hmm. So, so it's work. I don't mind work, it's just not of interest and then it's it's more like it's not in the style that would appeal to me. Mhm. So, but i think that's probably why we complement each other well because we offer different things and we have different approaches to how we explain things so when it's combined it's uh i think it's very effective sure well but good for you you like going to film festivals you like tormenting yourself with all of this stuff well and... no it's not torment i think just oh well you okay you can say it's not torment but the way you describe it as it's happening, uh, it sounds like it's just this overwhelming, <laughs> exhausting process.
1: Well, I mean, there were, to be fair, oh, I didn't even bring up the ticketing system. They had a t- they implemented the ticketing system in Cannes, which in theory is really good. But then the site kept crashing at 7 a.m. because you could only get tickets 48 hours in advance. And that's, there was a reduced press presence there this year, so there was... N- essentially there was no problem getting tickets. It's just that when they became available, the site kept crashing because everybody and their mother was trying to get these tickets. Uh, So they really need to work out those kinks. That said, I think it did greatly reduce waiting in lines. Even if you have a really good badge, uh, which I do uh, at Cannes, it it still greatly reduced having to wait in lines, which based on the weather and of course the pandemic, that was uh, helpful.
0: Another thing I'm thinking is like my uh, disinterest in attending film festivals is also based on this idea that like watching more than like one movie a day seems um, for me uh, unrealistic (laughs) because it's like my synapses get overloaded. Sure. And it's like I can't really like watching six movies in a day. It's like how could I even distinguish one from the next and you know, Anyone who knows me, especially you, would know that like everything's affected by my mood. Mhm. So I can't imagine like being tired, being annoyed from the previous film, being like on a high from laughing so much from one screening to then transition to something that's more somber. Mm-hmm. Like my perception of it would just be so skewed that I don't even know how it would make sense for me to watch multiple films a day for me. For I, me.
1: I I it is I mean it's it's work. I so it's, to
0: fly like across the world and, you know, to watch forty movies just would not, well, or, or seventy or sixty, just seems like, it seems like probably the worst time I could have. Plus,
1: plus <laughs> making time to write and or yeah. eat and shower. That uh, is the
0: opposite of what sounds like joy to me. So. <laughs> I would much rather take two weeks and just go off and just be by myself and just relax because I can't ever do that. But I think that's great that you find this very enjoyable mm-hmm. and good. Someone needs to, because people have to go and watch these movies. And I, I, I will say to not end on such a negative note, probably because I probably do sound negative is, um, there's so many talented artists out there, like filmmakers Right? Like directors, cinematographers, art, actors, sound people, hair and makeup who work on all these projects that we'll never get to, most of us will never get to see. So it's important that we have these film festivals because they give some exposure. And then I think it's even more important that there are people out there who take the time to watch them to then try to spread the word. Right, Because if people like you didn't go to these film festivals and write about these things... Then how would anyone know?
1: Well, that's the other thing. I think it's important to be. I mean, not that I, I don't think that I'm special or important. I think that w- the the duty I feel I enjoy it, but also the duty of writing and defending things that like the, the core, the, all the main players seem to disparage or dismiss. Like that, we need different viewpoints and we need authentic viewpoints. A lot of conversations I had with a lot of you know, popular, I'm not going to name names, but like popular people, critics uh, on various outlets and on Twitter that have amassed like kind of huge followings over the past several years are all fake, like their their opinions are fake. Um, and they will freely admit that to you in conversation in person that the persona that they are, are um, employing is, you know, a sellout, but also to get, which is a means to their end. So I think... To me, it feels important to be out there saying what I actually feel and mean, not being beholden to anyone or any particular uh, human. That besides you, that that uh, is genuinely saying what I mean. This is my genuine opinion, and I think that, and I think that I live my life like that as well. But to me, it feels like such a rarity, and like luckily, I've done this long enough where. At, all these venues, I've kind of have found a handful of people that are similar uh, in tone or intention, which makes it bearable because otherwise, you know, it's, it's a very lonely experience to go there and just
0: have Holden Caulfield syndrome. (laughs) It is a business and I understand that. And I think for some people, their entire like livelihood relies on them playing a game. Right. So then when we think about like, who's distributing a film and parent companies and the different publications they own. And, you know, when you see like a major publication saying that a crap movie is like the movie of the year, it's like, well, yeah, because the parent company owns the publication and funded the movie. And, you know, you would think that the general public understands that, but they don't. Well, and I don't know that they they, they don't. It's just like people don't care, right? Like most people aren't as invested in cinema as you are so it's just like oh whatever is number 1 this week at the box office whatever is like you know easy peasy I'll I'll go see and I think that's fair if you don't care about cinema but I think it's it's a very interesting thing the more I like learn about filmmaking and the industry that it it, it is kind of a game or I mean it is a business so there is a game to it but Again, the fact that there are so many talented people out there persevering and making quality content, it's great that there are, are, are venues where these uh works can get attention. So so I think it it's it's wonderful. I I wish film I'm hoping that film festivals become more of like a destination where like people like the mainstream public can well, like TIFF. TIFF is very easy. But but even, like, let's say Sundance. It's like, okay, so Sundance, really any festival, but it's like every festival has their own sort of, like, uh, angle and that the, like, mainstream audiences can then say, okay, for this week of this festival, we have access to these films, right? We buy access, we buy tickets, and we watch these films we wouldn't normally see. And I'm hoping with streaming at home becoming more popular that maybe people will broaden their horizons and check out. Well, kind of like how Sundance did this year. I really like that. I, like, I really like having access to, like, a myriad of things. And I think part of the, you know, my enthusiasm for cinema waned a very long time ago because I'm just overwhelmed and and fatigued by it. But I remember years ago, like, getting the chance to look through, like, a book. Like, a program book. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, yeah. Like, the first time I went to TIFF, I think. The only time. The only time. 2010. And, like, going through the book. Mm-hmm. Or Berlin, didn't I go through that? And I went through the Poland one. Mm-hmm. Like, just saying, like, which films would I want to see. I actually thought that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that process of, like, oh, there are so many options. I get to choose. I like that. Mm-hmm. Versus, like, getting on you know, any, w- whatever streaming platform we have and feeling so limited. Like, well, it's also, it's all the same basic shit or like, well, cause this is an event too. And it's been, um,
1: uh, curated to suggest that these are contemporary
0: quality offerings. That's what I mean. I think these film festivals should sort of have an angle where th- the, whatever the angle is, we know that it was curated with care. Mm-hmm. So like, what's the one for horror, uh, Fantasia? Fantasia or Stitches, yeah. It's like, yeah, it would be so cool if, like, the public could have access to those, which I don't know that they don't. But, um... And knowing that whatever is part of that festival is quality. Because then it's like, oh, how fun to have, like, a hundred selections... Which, you know, are there 100 quality horror films every year? Probably not. But the no. <laughs> But, you know, even if they only have 20, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to watch, I'm going to, I paid for a four-ticket bundle, <clears throat> and I get to read through these 20 films. I think that's really exciting, but we need to end this. Um, do you have any final words?
1: Oh, I, I was thinking, I, we probably should have talked about Lamb with Numi Rapace, where she has the half lamb, half human baby, but... That was that. That was in, that was a big ticket, the, a uh, a high profile item that I thought kind of fizzled out. And despite its um, scenario, was very basic. Wow. Um, but I, I think you'll get a kick out of it when we watch it. There's there, there are some good visual gags. Okay,
0: well, do you want to say bye? Uh, yeah, bye.
1: Bye. <laughs>